I don't have Justin here again. This is the second time I'm doing it on my own. So if this even makes it out into the ether, then whew, God, we're doing something right. Let's give it a try. <laughs> it's okay. All right, I did it. I played intro music. Uh, we are totally not okay, but that's okay. We are a podcast about the intersection between mass media culture and mental health. My name's Kaylee Legrand. I'm impressed with myself for having plugged in my mic today. And you know what? Honestly, I'm impressed with myself for having gotten out of bed and putting perfume on for this to feel like a human because for the past weekend, I have... Uh, not only been distracted by my phone going off and trying to turn it off and throw it across the room, but um, I spent the entire weekend incredibly ill. The only way to describe it is to feel like I had a gremlin trying to birth itself inside of me. Uh, essentially, I've, I, I went and had testing done and I ruled out that it wasn't COVID and I couldn't figure out what was wrong, but I just could not get warm and I was shivering for a couple of days and staying under blankets. So I am just so happy to not be feeling like that anymore and to be back into feeling like some sort of normal skin. I am also really excited for the guest that we have today because I've spoken to her a couple of times and it feels like I'm speaking to a kindred spirit. She's part of my tribe. She's another actor. She is a coach as well. I'm going to bring her in and have her introduce herself right now. So come on in, Rachel. Hello. Hello. I'm so happy to be here. I'm happy that you're here too. Uh, I want to announce to everybody that if you're having issues with technology, you're not alone because, uh, uh, well, apologies that we're a little late because we were also trying to figure things out. So I'm glad that we are figuring this out together. Thank you for being here. <laughs> it was quite an event getting here, but it was worth it. Kaylee, I'm so happy to be talking with you in person. Uh, we've had some dialogues, but not one-on-one, -on -one, so this is fantastic. Yeah, same. I was just going to say it's really exciting to actually connect with you and see you and, and chat with you over a platform where I feel a little bit more connected to you because we've had a couple of chats just um, in terms of audio, I've heard your voice, but now I get to actually see you. So it's it's cool. And I want to have you share to the rest of the world who you are. Um, I've already shared a little bit about the sector that you work in, but why don't you introduce yourself and tell our listeners what it is that you do? Sure. Thank you. Well, my name is Rachel Baylett, and I am an actress and an acting teacher. And I specialize in teaching method acting at the Lee Strasberg Theater and Film Institute in Los Angeles. And in the last three years, I have taken method acting and traveled around the world with it. And I like to say that I splash it in many different areas, including art, animation, politics, and public speaking, and of course, my beloved actors. So I've been bi-coastal between here, uh, between Boston and Los Angeles for the last three years. And when I'm not teaching at the Institute, you will find me, um, oh, I might give away one of my questions later. So I'm not going to tell you one thing, but you might find me at the animation studios. I teach at DreamWorks. Um, I teach at Warner Animation Group. And I, I love what I do. I absolutely love Lee Strasberg's technique of method acting. And I am an East Coast native from Boston and um, I, every day is a creative day, so it's a good day for me. So, um, I think the, the right place to start off is to explain what method acting is, because although I know that we have some listeners who are also in the entertainment industry and, uh, particularly actors, uh, I'm assuming that there are going to be some who don't know what we're talking about when we say method acting. So can we start off with having you just explain what method acting is? Sure, I would love that. It's the most misunderstood phrase in the entire universe. Uh, method acting, as I 
teach it, is a technique by a man named Lee Strasberg. And the technique was inspired by the work of a handful of people at the Moscow Art Theater at the turn of the century, one of whom's name most actors know, Konstantin Stanislavski. But there were other people involved that often don't get credit, like Bakhtengoff and um, uh, Richard Wolflowski. But anyhow, uh, the long and short of it, and it is long, and if I had hours here, I would love to go into it, but the technique was um, inspired by Stanislavski's work, and Lee Strasberg took this work, and in the 1930s, he worked with a group theater, and he developed a teachable method of method acting. Method acting is acting from yourself, so everyone can do it. And it can be trained and it's a systematic approach. It's a technique for when you need it and it has steps and it's very learnable and it's how to engage yourself through the five senses and access uh, personal memory so that you can embody and you can understand the characters that you play and that it, it that you understand it organically, that you're in it, that you're experiencing not acting, but actually experiencing in a very healthy way um, the conditions, the atmosphere, the um, everything that a character is made of. Um, and so it really runs parallel to uh, what's going on in the text. You're co-creating with the text. So it really encourages authenticity and imagination and creativity. So you're touching on something I've already had a million thoughts on before and I've spoken a little bit too from my own personal stance when it comes to acting from uh, from yourself and I, I'm super grateful that you're here to speak specifically about method acting because I've mentioned it before I have not dug into it the way that I know that you can offer uh, but my first experience with I guess hearing hearing it on set a lot more so um, before having divin uh, before diving into training with it was I was told that I was doing method acting on a particular film, which I, I was not aware of. I had not done training with method acting. So it was weird to have somebody else say that that's what I was doing when I wasn't really <laughs> coming from this place of having been trained like that. But one of my earlier films before having trained uh, to work safely, like you were saying, I dove into a character that I suppose my psyche did not want to fully associate myself with. And I repressed a lot of my experience on that set. I don't remember, I've unpieced some of it, I've untethered some of it, but uh, I, I couldn't remember some of my work on set. So when you're talking about using your own memories and working from uh, yourself, but you're co-creating with that work. Can you talk to the idea of memories, how they actually are used when you're acting and whether or not we're actually creating other memories that are, like, what, what we're creating, I suppose, that stays with us when we do walk away from that set? Absolutely. Well, we're taking the memory and we're using it in an imaginative way. It's fueling our imagination. So we're not, we can't literally recreate a memory, but the feeling of something. So we can uh, smell the ocean at a special place and it does something to us. We can hear a piece of music and it reminds us of, of high school or a special time. Um, all five senses are, are activated at all times experiencing your life. And we're, we make that conscious. So this experience of training, the training drill exercises that we do, they awaken our senses. So they're like live nerves. And it's so great because you become so alive in the moment. It's really like the book, the power of now, everything is alive. And so First of all, that sensitizes us and makes us more open even to what's going on that very second with the other actor. We're very alive. But in terms of taking the memory, uh, it's a way for us. I'm not quite sure what happened to you on that set because the way we train is to have absolute control of getting in and out. And that's it. You leave the set, you're out. 
And that's very important to me and to the other teachers that we're able to train a control. That's why you have the technique. So you don't have to um, leave your body or stay in preparation. That is not what we teach. And that's what most people think method acting is. But if I want to understand a situation, when have I ever felt that? What does it remind me of? It's going to bring me closer to the circumstance of the character I'm playing. And I'll have a feeling. So today, um, I had a female student in my history class doing the monologue, Friends, Romans, about Julius Caesar. Such a great choice for her. But it mattered who was Caesar and who was the person that she lost, right? And who did the Romans represent to her? And so even friends, Romans, countrymen, for each of those, she can create from her memory who those people are. So we're not just relying on text in a general feeling. Everything is very specific. And it means something. It gives meaning to acting, to text. Well, you're hitting the nail on the head as far as what happened with me. The idea of being able to step into the work and then step out and drop the work when you go home, that's mm -hmm. the part that I had not built my own tool set to be able to deliver in that way. Uh, mm -hmm. So I, I, I've talked about before how we don't really have WSIB forms to fill out when you get into this weird mental state that other people are not even aware of what's going on unless you have somebody who, like an acting coach, who you've trained with, who is aware of where you're at in your journey, what your capabilities are, whether you are using tools that are helping you get in safely and get out safely. Uh, those, those are some of the things that I, I think are super important for actors that are yes. important in inset. Agreed, agreed. And, and I hope that every actor gets them. I mean, it sounds like, Kaylee, you have an incredible imagination. And all actors, you know, it's a great thing for acting that you're sensitive and you're susceptible to feeling and engaging thoroughly. But yeah, you don't want to have to worry uh, that you're going to lose your identity, which I, I don't think can happen. But uh, but still, that uncomfortableness of you not knowing what happened there, I can imagine. Uh, I'm surprised that didn't scare you enough to you know want to stop acting because that it sounds really frightening. And so I think uh, what a teacher needs to do and 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 to train is is you to uh, have a preparation first of all. And to understand uh, technique of how, how to get out, because you will be affected. We're human beings. You're going to have residual feeling. That's normal. We have residual feeling in life, right? Something annoying happened to me a couple hours ago. I'm probably still carrying that. We're human, right? But in terms of, of turning on and turning off emotion, you're also a professional on a set and people have to work with you and they need to know. So... Um, it might be as simple as you walking off set for a few minutes and getting some fresh air and throwing some water on your face, which you probably want to, don't want to do with makeup, or it, you might have our relaxation technique, which would be to, to really release tension in the body and to, and to come back into the moment. But, uh, some actors like to indulge in that feeling and they like to stay in it. And it's very exciting that they can feel emotion. Maybe they've never had it their entire life. And now all of a sudden they're feeling something and they don't want to let go of that. But you have to trust that you can create it fresh every time you go to work. Yes, uh, I think that that's a super fascinating aspect that you're able to recreate something, especially when you're doing, say, a play. So you're performing the exact same thing over and over and over again. So finding your way in to be able to find something new, to be able to have it be, uh, for a lack of a better word, authentic in the moment and have it not be palaced and rehearsed, super important. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think I don't, I don't want to use myself too much specifically as an example for this, but it is the reason why I personally became interested in this cross-section of analysis. The idea of what does happen on the psychological level, what actors are required to do in order to step into their work. Thankfully, um, I guess just from my own experience, I wasn't scared away. I was fascinated. Yes, it can be a very scary thing to actually look back on and realize that I repressed a good chunk of my experience. Um, but I was more so fascinated to just try to understand what was actually happening. And so 
that's why I also find it very interesting to meet and talk with people who are working on those tools and have been aware of what's actually happening on that level and how to utilize it. So we've you've mentioned before um, in an earlier talk that we had, we were talking about memory as opposed to attention. And I'm wondering if you can touch on that dichotomy as well right here in terms of, we've talked a little bit about memory and using our own memories. You know, when have I felt like this before or uh, maybe using personal experiences, but not living or like you said, falling in love with that feeling and getting, I guess, too much attached with something that is not actually right there in front of you or not on the text. How do you balance between memory and attention in that way? Well, attention comes first. You mean working off the other person, uh, perceptions, what's happening in the moment. You always give way to that. And so when you're dealing with personal choices of memory, they're rehearsed over and over and the preparation's done so that when you hit that spot in the script, um, you already know, you know, you know what it means to you, but, but what happens in the moment is always more important. Otherwise you're acting in a bubble. So it gives meaning and textures to your work and sensorial choices that are unique, but ultimately uh, it's what's happening in the moment. And I think that's misunderstood. And that is all good acting, right? Happens in the moment, moment to moment work. So is that what you're talking about when you, to go back to the uh, example of being in a play, of being able to have something occur authentically, is that going to come from the attention aspect? And how does that maybe relate to being a generous actor, which I've heard you speak about? <laughs> well, I know I'm all about the generosity of, of what actors do. I don't think that actors are really uh, appreciated fully for what we have to do for the audience that we have to really feel. We have to go there and do the heavy lifting and the feeling, and then the audience gets to respond. And, and I'm not saying that's an easy job because sometimes we're throwing a lot at them in terms of, of what they process, but I do think it's a generous gift. And I do think that yes, working to moment to moment is generous because you have another human being, breathing person, feeling person in front of you. And so we train you at Strasbourg to run, you know, that you could do both at the same time and acting is a juggling experience. And we have exercises that parallel that. We have the combination exercise where you start with one sensory and by the end you're doing seven combinations. And so you learn how to juggle so much in acting. And the one thing we stress is concentration. And we literally lift weights in class. Uh, not literally, but it feels like weights. <laughs> I can see us all doing weights. Uh, <laughs> We, we are doing so many exercises to train our concentration so that we can be fully present and not self-conscious and not have to ever act. But the generosity factor is in what actors can do with their acting, the potential of what of the lives you can affect. And I think, Kaylee, you do that already of how we give back. And that it's a generous art in terms of experiencing and sharing and knowing that it affects so many people, people that that uh, maybe can't express, but need need to have the experience and need to have empathy and need to see other people experiencing. And so I think we are giving it away. Um now, I, I know we're being paid in many cases, but the art of having a generous heart um, to go in and to be willing to feel, I think, takes a lot of bravery. So I've heard the idea of, um, I think, more commonly about the generosity of an actor or I guess the ways in which actors give in terms of performance to an audience. And I think that maybe that's a little bit more self-evident for uh, those who aren't necessarily in the business. But can you maybe share for those who aren't in the business or have never played in a room with a scene partner, what generosity might mean 
between scene partners, like how one actor can be generous towards their own scene partner. Oh, absolutely. Well, staying open, really listening, perceiving listening, being intuitive to what that scene partner's going through, using text to respond, using words to actually have a subtext writing, but with action and behavior, uh, how to take that person in. And I think that's that would be the most generous way to act, that it's not about you, right? It's you're in the scene. Acting comes from the word action, to do. You're there to do something. And so uh, whatever that action is with your partner, you want to stay wide open and receive as well as give. You talk about listening, and, and I think that that's a, I mean, I, I think listening comes up in probably outside of our industry as well, but having studied a plethora of different styles as far as improv goes, or when it comes to method acting, or uh, just we have our coaches around Toronto and Canada. Uh, this idea of listening is something that I find um, kind of funny to think about because I know that for myself, I can sometimes move into a space of getting a little too over analytical when it comes to that particular sense that we have where when I'm trying to listen, it almost stops me from being able to just hear what's already there, like trying, like trying to fall asleep and how that actually makes it harder to fall asleep. Do you specifically focus on one sense at a time when you're talking about these tools that you're developing that you layer in as Okay. Yeah, that's for me that's a twofold question. The the part about trying to listen would be to be relaxed. And so a huge part of what we teach in the first part is relaxation. That the body's in a state of relaxation. That would be really important and then and then relax then listening would come easier. There would be less uh, forced listening, I think, for all actors. In terms of the senses, yes, we take in everything at once. Just like right now, you know what you're sitting on. You know what the light's like, what it might smell like, right? What the taste in your mouth is. You have all these things. You only need to put your attention on them and concentrate. So if I wanted to add something in a scene, if I wanted to walk on stage smelling roses and filling up or, or a perfume or cologne of someone to sense them nearby, or if I wanted to hear my mom calling me, any of those senses I want to put in that might have some meaning in the script in a place that I feel will add something to it. Um, the easiest is sight, right? I might look off and see something and fill up as I'm telling a story and, and it feeds me. Okay, I could see or I could hear it as I'm talking to you and I'm filling up while I'm present with you on the line. Okay, deepening the meaning of that moment. I'm able to do it all. I don't have to leave you to do that. Just like right now, you might be thinking what you're going to ask me next or you might be daydreaming what you're going to have for dinner or, you know, we do it all the time. We go off in these little daydreams and it's very much like emotional memory, what we consciously put into a moment with our senses where we feel we need it. And I always like to think of it as pixie dust that we can spread on things to give it more texture, more life, more meaning. And it's so much fun to play with. And again, the technique was created for when you need it, but I think it's fun to use it all the time. I think where senses are just are phenomenal. They're so rich with memory. I do too. I agree. I love the fact that you're also calling it pixie dust or fairy dust because it, it is such a, a magical notion that what we do for work is, it's kind of funny to call it work because it's so, we're, we're dreaming while we're awake. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, and as far as being able to bring it into the rest of our lives, I mean, again, this is somewhere where I think I can get a little too heady sometimes and wondering like where that boundary is and that the line sometimes is blurred for me because uh, I, lo I love the exercises that I play with. And sometimes it's like, okay, I don't need to be so attentive when I'm carving a mango, but it's so fun sometimes to just be attentive to what the smell is, how the knife moves, what the energy feels like in that moment. And even just the object work of it, if I want to recreate it on stage in an improv scene. 
So little things like that that I, I love playing with, as opposed to say, um, you know, you're in the middle of a fight and you're, you're, you're going through a breakup. And um, this is where I think my over analytical mind sometimes gets me into trouble because it'll, it'll be like, oh, remember the way that this feels so you can recreate this in, in a scene that you need. Where it's like, no, those are the places where you just need to be fully present and, and, and the attention should be in, um, I, I don't want to use the word. I think the it's word. okay though. I, I, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I think it's okay yeah, it. to do that. I think you're living what we call mindfully. You know, that's such a common term to eat mindfully, just, you know, all the things to live in the moment. And we do want to capture it because it's so like today I took a walk and it felt like the rainforest even though I was just in a park nearby with the birds and I had to film it. You know, why did I have to film it? I had to capture that moment. I have a friend, Henry Jaglum, who's a film director who once said to me, you know, I feel like it didn't exist unless I film it. And so we, we experience life at such an intricate detailed level that um, it means something to us. We're sensitized. And so I actually have my actors trained like that. And anyone can do it who wants to live a mindful life. Just stop at any given moment. What do I hear? What do I smell? What do I see? And I mean, I don't think we do that all the time. I'm sure there are times where, you know, you, you go through a meal or do something not thinking about it, I'm guessing. Or you get in the car and you drive somewhere and you're, and you're like, you get somewhere. Where? How did I get here? Oh, yeah. Driving somewhere is a whole other story. I should pay more attention doing that. <laughs> so maybe there. But I, I feel like we have enough zoning out in life. And when you have tactorial experiences like the fruit, that I think it is important as actors. I think that's our job is to pay attention because we recreate that. And we collect these moments. Stanislavski called it the golden box. You put these memories in the golden box and you have the golden keys and it's important to keep track of them. Uh, there's a beautiful book called Acting, uh, The First Six Lessons by Richard Boleslavsky, who was part of the Moscow Art Theater and Lee Strasberg's um, teacher for a while. And uh, he talks about how to keep these memories in order because they're your friends and they're your teachers and they're yours. They only belong to you and they'll give you economy, precision and power. And so they're your only paints and brushes. And so I love that. And I, I, whenever I finish an acting session, a class, a session of, you know, so many classes, I'll read that to my students. And it's uniquely yours. No one else has it. And that's what you offer the world, every single person, whether you're an actor or not. And so we should really appreciate who we are, good and bad, if you want to label it, or all the different aspects of your personality. They're all wonderful and make you human, and that is what acting is. It is creating the human experience under imaginary circumstances. Yeah, oh, I love everything that you're saying right now. I love the way that you put that, and, and the reference of the book, which I jotted down, and I'll uh, look it up so I can put it in the show notes for those who are listening afterwards. Okay. Uh, I, uh, there's one more thing that I wanna ask you about before we move into talking about uh, our One Cool Things and the game of one, uh, Two Truths and a Lie. This idea of, um, and it stems off of what we're talking about as far as being able to say, capture it the way, the way that you're saying, which a lot of us do. I mean, we're constantly on Instagram. I'm speaking obviously kind of in blanketed terms, but we live in this Instagram world. And I, as a photographer, also just love carrying around my, my camera to capture everything. And so I have to force myself sometimes to just leave the cameras at home, leave the phone at home, and to actually go for, say, a hike to experience that one-on-one -on -one contact with nature. And I think that's what I was getting at as far as, uh, I mean, you pulled it apart perfectly in terms of being able to be present and attentive to the nature of life that is right there in front of us and unfolding within us. Um, and our tendency to want to capture it, whether it is, trying to remember the way that we feel uh, and put it in our mind bank or actually capturing it with say a camera. Um, this idea of holding on to things versus letting things go and 
and not to move too much into this idea of time, but we do use the past for our memory and moving into the future in terms of our wants, our desires, our expectations, the same way that our characters are and putting ourselves in line with that. I have heard so many of your students just praise you and the work that the, they get to go through with you. So, um, I, and specifically I've heard some of them say that it does bleed over into their personal lives. And, and I've heard the conversation move into what sounds almost therapeutic. So I'm wondering, my question around this is, is there something that you, do you have a clear boundary for how you might separate that for students who like going back to myself and years ago, before I had any of this training, what would you say or what would you offer? How would you set up that, that border of safety for someone just stepping into the work? A good question. Well, you really need to pay attention to your students. And I think on Zoom, I'm able to do that better than ever now that we're online. Really? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Because when I'm in a classroom and people are doing exercise work, I'm walking around and it's hard to catch every nuance that an actor is going through. And I really can see everyone in their little boxes right now mm. and sense if an actor's stuck. I mean, I'm trained to spot tension. I'm trained to look at people and see what's going on with their body. So much of our work is in the body. So I believe that what my students are talking about, the ones you've heard who are these lovely human beings, um, they're talking about being in touch and uh, beginning to what Lily Strasberg says to create and express, to express their feelings. And it makes them feel very alive. And in that sense, yes, it's therapeutic because what we're dealing with in method acting is breaking up habit, which becomes cliche in expression. And we're getting in there and we're, we're, we're kind of moving around stuff and getting rid of tension, physical tension, mental tension. And there's a freedom in that freedom of claiming who you are, all parts of you. And so I, I don't see any danger in that. Um, the only time that I really feel I need to keep eyes on people are when emotion comes up. And we don't push for emotion in our work. We go through the senses and we never push for emotion. But when, pe when emotion does come up, to express that and we have a sound that we use and we speak out and to move that eventually into text and so that is where I think I need to spend extra any teacher would need to spend extra attention in seeing you know is that emotion expressed and does the student need to talk about that you know we go around after all the exercises and everyone has a chance to talk and so I don't, I feel because of that, people don't really take the work home with them because they feel it's a safe environment for them to talk about what they've experienced. Now, I can't say that all classes are like this. I don't know what other classes are like. I only know the ones I've been in, which have made me feel very secure. And if, if a student does get emotional, then especially in an exercise, then it's always back to the senses. Don't indulge in that. You know, what does it smell like? What does it taste like? And you really have to know what our sense memory exercises are like, or this is out of context, but getting them back in the moment. And so it doesn't flood the system, the emotion, because you have to be able to act when the emotion comes up. And so that is something that we're able to teach and to, and to also um, have the relaxation technique going while that emotion is coming up. I, well, I, first of all, can only assume that it is such a safe space in your classrooms. I've never been in them myself, but having listened to students speak about you and your work, it sounds like that's exactly what it is. And I think that that's uh, of the utmost importance, both on set and in the classroom when you are developing these habits, as you said. Um, I have heard stories of other scenarios. So I, I will say, I think, one, I'm so pleased that you were able to come and share this kind of information and a little bit about the work that you do. And two, for any actors who are looking to start getting into that work, that is probably the most paramount thing to look for is finding a space that does feel safe for that exploration because you are digging into some uh, 
like we've touched on, some psychologically deep territory that you are looking to essentially rewire and train yourself how to deal with your own actions once you dig into things that make you feel, <laughs> that make you feel such things. Mm -hmm. And but, it might be the first time that someone's having that experience. You know, you might not have grown up in a family where there was a lot of expression or communication. And so we take all that into consideration in the training. So, you know, I, I had some teach, I had a teacher long ago that wasn't so great for me. Um, I've been in those situations. I've worked with directors that I haven't felt particularly safe and then I've worked with others where I feel very safe so you have to explore and you have to follow your heart I, your acting class should be a good experience that doesn't mean it's not going to be challenging and that you're not going to work so hard and be frustrated some days but all in all uh, you're always spoken to with respect and with care yeah well and I think even just the fact that um actors who continually do go through training and coaching uh even when they are working actors my assumption is that it it makes them more able to deal with those situations when maybe they are working with uh other team members that don't make that space they're not the ones that are making that space feel safe or it's challenging in ways that you know, they can still deal with the challenges that are coming at them because they've strengthened their own tool belt, their own habits, and they they know how to work safely on their own. So I think continual coaching, at least for myself, I've always looked at ongoing education as a really important part of the role that we play, the, the work that we do in our industry. Oh, same here. I'm, I'm in three acting classes myself right now, which has been one of the advantages with being online. Absolutely. I think, you know, I have to walk the talk. And I have to be in the chair, so to speak, what we call it, and do the work. And I have so much compassion and respect for my actors, what they go through. And I'm there to support them and help them grow. And so I don't call it a critique. I think the, the wording is so important with how we talk in acting class and support one another. And um, Lee Strasberg said, art is in the choice. So there is no good or bad. They're only choices. Oh, I love that. <laughs> well, I know that you do have to be there for your students uh, shortly. You have another class that you're going to have to run to. So I would love to jump into the game of the two truths and a lie. And if Justin were here, he would also be um, my buffer for making him go first <laughs> with the casting. So I'll put it out there for any of those uh, who are watching on the platform live and want to guess which of the following is the lie out of the three, go ahead and put it in the chat. Otherwise, I'm going to be the one who's guessing. <laughs> Do you want to read them out or would you like me to uh, to read them? I have them listed here. Uh, you can read them. Okay. So the three that we have listed, starting with number one, I did ventrilo ventriloquism as a child. Not me, I'm reading these for Rachel. So Rachel did ventriloquism <laughs> as a child. Number two being that she spoon-fed Jim Carrey. <laughs> and number three, that she dated Leo DiCaprio, which I'm sure is short for Leonardo DiCaprio for those who are wondering. <laughs> I am stalling for myself and putting it out there for actually I'll put these in the chat in case anybody wants that reminder and I'll read them one more time number one <laughs> Rachel did ventriloquism as a child number two she spoon-fed Jim Carrey or number three she dated Leo DiCaprio <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and say the lie is you never did ventriloquism. Nobody can, I don't believe in ventriloquism. I I think it's, it's, it's just magic. I don't think it's a real thing. I think something else is going on. Is, is oh, that- my that's answer? That's my answer. Well, I know well, that you think that uh, I would date Leo. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I did do ventriloquism. I had a little doll that I got from FAO Schwartz. 
and I that was what I wanted. I wanted a little. Uh, he was called the Charlie McCartney doll. He had a little suit and uh, monocle, <laughs> and that's what I was <laughs> doing as a little girl. Very strange. <laughs> okay, well, I'm gonna have to have you back on the show at some point to explain and show. I know you're not supposed to like show the magic tricks, but it's just. I've never been able to figure that out. And I'm also kind of like afraid of dolls. So I, I don't pay too close attention because I'm scared of them. But okay, so wait, this means, did you give it away? What's the lie? I did, I did give it away. The, the lie is that I dated Leo. Okay, but you spoon fed Jim Carrey. I did, I spoon fed him in, I was in the movie, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. And one of the scenes that was cut from the movie, I uh, was spoon feeding him. I was a chef. I was a little who character and I was feeding him pudding. Oh and I had a scene with him, which was cut from the movie. So I had to keep spoon feeding him as the Grinch. Did you get to at least keep the footage? Did you get a copy of that? No. It's oh. so sad. I never got the footage. You know, it's funny. I can't even remember if I tried. I actually was in touch with Ron Howard's office for a long time. I don't even know if I asked them. I'm not sure who I asked. I thought I did at the time, but maybe I should go down that rabbit hole and see if I can get it. It's got to exist somewhere. That was already out of the day and age where it's like on digi multiple digital copy copies everywhere. You've got to get that. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. Oh, that's that's hilarious. Um, yeah, no, I, I just figured that you, I mean, cause you're in LA a lot. I, I, I wouldn't have put it past you that you did. No, he, he did sit behind me in a movie theater at a screening. He was like three rows behind me. That was very exciting. I um, mean, I, in my mind, that's already a date, but like you said, I have a vivid imagination. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. Oh, I love it. Okay. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna just assume that it's real, it's real in my world. Um you also had I really liked your one cool thing that you shared this stuff in advance with me. So guys, I'm cheating for those of you who are wondering how I know all of this in advance. Uh I'm gonna have you share your one cool thing first because you made me think of something else which wasn't originally my one cool thing, but I now have two things that I want to share. So Okay. Remember what your one cool thing is. Yes. Uh, my one cool thing is that I communicate through ancient Greek vases, 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 vases. Depends how you say it. You say vases. <laughs> All of the above, depending on where you are in the world. Ancient Greek vase. So first you're going to have to explain how, because that has me very intrigued. Okay. Well, the truth is... I co-created a tour at the Getty Museum called Sense, Memory, and Art. And we take people in front of paintings using the method and they find pieces of themselves in, in the art, in experiences. People will dance or cry in front of a painting. It's very incredible. But uh, so one day the docents at the Getty Villa asked me, would you come do the ancient Greek collection? And so we literally found uh I, I took them through the vase and what, you know, people would paint their lives on these, these, uh, or these pottery, uh, urns and vases. And so <laughs> from what we got off them, they would, uh, open up their own life experiences. And so by noticing, uh, and, and finding the experience of what was going on, there would be a communication through, you know, 2000, it was 2020 or 2019 of what was going on in their current day lives. So in a sense that we were communicating through the vase, a whole human life experience of what we had in common. That is so cool. And the fact that you're doing it on like these ancient pieces of art, it feels like the original time travel machine. <laughs> no, it does. I have it on YouTube. You can watch the videos. And yeah. um, you can see me with the docents in, in those rooms. They, they, we got to go in there. No uh, visitors were there that day. And we got to work with the art. It was very exciting. really cool. Yeah. If you, if you want to share that, I mean, I would love to also put that in the show notes for other people to see if that's something that you're willing to share. Sure. I'd love to. Oh, that's super cool. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so what you reminded uh, me of for my one cool thing um, I still want to mention the thing that I have been holding fast to, but, but first tangentially, you made me think of 
there's a Japanese art of putting broken pottery pieces back together with gold called, uh, I might not pronounce it correctly. In my mouth, it's pronounced Kintsugi. I, I'm sure that there might be a different way, maybe in another part of the world, the proper way of saying it, but it's it essentially using gold to actually put broken pieces of whether it's a vase, a vase, a plate, whatever, back together. Um, and it's built on the idea of embracing flaws and imperfections and that through, but instead of throwing the piece away, you keep it and it is a reminder that you are essentially bringing something back together and having something be stronger and more beautiful through that act of creating art out of it. Um, and Kate, it's so appropriate for our whole conversation today. I, I seeing all the cracks. Yeah, letting it's like that Leonard Cohen line of uh, the cracks are how the light get through, and it, it's also just freshly in my mind because I recently shattered a plate that my mother gave me. So I was wanting to hold onto it. I sent her a picture of it and I was super sad. And I just left it on the floor for a while. I just didn't even touch it because it was too sad to pick it up. Instead, I decided to just like call her and show it to her and talk to her about how I can save it. And she, my mother, of course, she's also getting rid of a bunch of stuff because my parents are moving right now. So she's in the process of just easily letting go of everything she's like just throw it out Kaylee it's fine and I'm I was researching ways to put it back together and that's when I recalled this beautiful Japanese art of um, putting things together with gold and so I suggested it to my mom she's like you're gonna spend how much money and not only on the gold but on learning how to go through that technique of putting it together with gold just throw it out we can buy another one if we want uh, so now I have one less of my plate set that my parents bought for me. And there's more story to the dowry that my parents have given to me expecting like children out of it for, for them, <laughs> grandchildren. Uh, but what my original one cool thing was going to be was just the vaccine, just people getting the vaccine and specifically even the numbers that came. I think it was yesterday. My days are blurring together because I have been feeling so ill. And this is another reason why I'm so excited to just say the word vaccine again, because for the entire weekend, I thought like, there's no way that I don't have the, that I don't have COVID. And so I had, I forced myself to go get um, tested to make sure just to rule it out. Cause I was super sick. And I, I think that, in our natural state, like I, I'm going to be honest, I do not feel 100% back to normal, but talking with you, I mean, I feel like a succubus taking your energy because you have such beautiful energy and I feel, Here, I, feel I give it, I give it, I give it. There you go. I appreciate it so much. Uh, this conversation has, I'm impressed you know what a succubus is. <laughs> What's that? I'm impressed you know what a succubus is. <laughs> I've seen a couple of shows with those uh, character lines, but <laughs> uh, one of which was shot in Toronto. But I, I just realized that once I started feeling kind of healthy again, how much I take that for granted. And as soon as I felt healthy enough to just get back out of bed, and once I knew that I, I didn't have COVID and I could actually go outside my house again, I went for, and this is silly, again, any strength overdone is a weakness, but I went for a run. I tried to run off whatever I felt. And Let it, it out. not feel good, but it was just this reminder of, I kind of feel like I, I'm superwoman. I can do anything because I can just get out of bed right now. So having the vaccine and having people be able to just get out and do things again and feel kind of normal again, not that I love the N-word that way, but... Uh, it's just a blessing. And the numbers in LA, I think it was yesterday, showing that there was zero new deaths from- Yes, yes, that was very nice to see that. Um, it went from the highest state to the lowest state of COVID. Yeah. Just a beautiful reflection of what we're able to do with modern day science. So that was pretty cool. And that was my, that was my other cool thing to share. So <laughs> there we are. and. 
I'm so happy that you came on the show and that I was able to, that we were able to figure out the technology and that Mercury Retrograde can go back and do whatever it wants now. Right, right. We're done with it. Thank you. I, I'm so happy to be here. I love what you're doing on the show. I hope to meet your co-host in the future. I'm sorry I missed him, but I'm super impressed with you and keep it up and uh, you have a beautiful spirit and your viewers are lucky to have you every week. So I now will tune in and watch you as well. That is very kind of you to say thank you. And I'm sure I'm going to chat with you soon again and, and your students and Great. a hello to the ones that I have chatted with already and met. And I hope you have fun in your class after this. Tonight. Okay. We'll do. Thanks so much. Have a great rest of your day, Rachel. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks, everybody. And uh, hopefully Justin's going to be back and that Mercury Retrograde is not going to take over too much more of all of our lives. Love all y'all, and I'll see you next time. If you like this podcast, you can support it by subscribing to it on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also leave us a rating or review, which sincerely helps us and we absolutely love. Come hang out with us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and send us your questions, recommendations, and cool things at we're totally not okay at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to We're Totally Not Okay, but that's okay. Hey there, my name is Abbas Wahab, comedian and host of The Immigrant Section, my weekly podcast where I bring on other comics, artists, and interesting people from all different backgrounds of life. And we just get to chatting about what's going on today, sharing funny stories and cultural tips and everything in between. Uh, whether you're an immigrant raised by one or just like watching cultures collide, this is a podcast for you. Check us out wherever you get your podcasts at or go to the sonarnetwork.com and make sure to subscribe to the immigrant section. Remember, not listening is racist. <laughs>